Now, if I were to ask you to name the historic boxer who had a professional record of 56 wins, 37 of those by knockout, and only five losses to go along with an Olympic gold medal, multiple heavyweight titles to his name, would you have any guesses? You know, for a lot of us, probably not. Because unless you're a fan of boxing or boxing trivia, these numbers and accomplishments would mean nothing. But what if I told you that the same boxer once said, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee? Well, maybe then more of us would have a guess that the individual I'm talking about is Muhammad Ali. See, Muhammad Ali had a long list of accomplishments worthy of being known for. But what most of us probably do know him for would be the things that he said and his trash talk. You see, some things that he didn't lack were talent, speed, ability, and confidence in himself. In fact, most of us would agree he went beyond simple confidence and went all the way to a place of pride. Don't take my word for it. Let me share just a few statements, some quotes, things that he said throughout his career. He famously declared, I am the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. Now, he didn't just think he was great because he also said, I'm not the greatest, I'm the double greatest. Another time he said, my only fault is I don't realize how great I really am. Now, in his mind, you couldn't, couldn't blame him for his pride, as he put it. It's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. On humility, Muhammad Ali once said, at home, I'm a nice guy, but I don't want the world to know. Humble people, I've found, don't get very far. Now, some people would probably dismiss things like this that he said as part of the public persona he chose to put on. But we need to remember that Jesus said the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So whether or not Muhammad Ali said all these things purely for the publicity, these statements revealed the pride that was in his heart. And I started to wonder this week if we are ever tempted to think of ourselves the way that he did. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't think that anyone in this room would ever actually say out loud, I am the greatest. But maybe similar thoughts linger in our hearts and minds. Like when we think to ourselves, I am the best at my job. Or I, I am the best dress no matter where I go. Or I'm the best at X, Y, or Z. You see, many times we start to think that we're the best in some areas, and whether or not that's true, that mindset begins to spill over into other areas. Before we know it, like Muhammad Ali, it starts to spill out of our mouths. Yet, as Christians, we know that it shouldn't be this way in our lives. This shouldn't be our attitude. So the question is, what should our attitude be like and why? If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 this morning, where we are going to see a great example of the attitude of the heart that God's people should have as we consider who is the greatest in our lives. 
John chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 22 together. It says this, it says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem, because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. Let's pause right here. Let's understand what's going on. John the Baptist, whose mission from God was to prepare the hearts of the people for the Messiah, here John is continuing that ministry with his followers. And after those followers get into an argument with someone, they approach John and say, hey, hey, that guy, the person, the one that you called the Lamb of God, look, everybody's going to him now. Now maybe, maybe they said this simply because their crowds were dwindling while someone else's were growing. Maybe they were trying to tell John to cool it with the whole Lamb of God thing so that people would stop going to Jesus. Maybe they were concerned because some of John's own disciples had left and gone to follow Jesus. Maybe they felt, they felt like Jesus was unfairly copying their style of ministry with this baptism stuff. We could speculate all day about the reasons behind why they said this, but you know, I think it's pretty clear. There was once a lady who had two birds that she kept in separate cages near the same window. One day she noticed something that she decided to show a friend who came over later. She went up to one of the cages, took one of those birds out, she started to pet the bird, call it pretty names, talk to it. And the whole time she was doing this, the other bird that was still in its cage completely lost it, ruffled its feathers, flying all around in the cage, making all these angry squawks. And she knew that one thing was clear. That other bird was jealous of all the attention the one she was holding was getting. We can speculate all day about the reasons for the statement John the Baptist's disciples made, but their attitudes make it pretty clear. They were jealous. They were jealous of Jesus. So jealous, they didn't even say Jesus' name. They just called him the one you testified about. They were jealous of Jesus. All the attention he was receiving from the crowds. Do we ever get jealous of people? Do we ever get jealous because that person, they got that promotion or their hard work is being recognized, we feel like ours isn't, or they hold a position that we wish that we had, or they have something we think we really deserve. Sometimes we get jealous, don't we? Let's take it a step further. I have a feeling that unlike John the Baptist's disciples, we don't get jealous of Jesus. He's our Savior, after all. But do we ever get jealous of what Jesus is doing in someone else's life? Have you ever felt that way? 
it seems that Jesus is blessing that person more, or he rescued that person from their ailment, but we're still sick, or he's provided abundantly for someone, but we feel empty, or he rescued someone from their addiction or their habit, but we feel stuck in ours. You ever felt that way? Then we start to get kind of jealous of that person, of the ways Jesus is blessing them. It's interesting, because in that jealousy, we get to the point where rather than rejoicing with our fellow believers about all that God is doing in their lives, we throw ourselves a pity party instead. We don't even consider the fact that we're failing to praise God for His goodness to them, and then we fail to praise God for the things He is doing in our lives, because we're too focused on jealousy to see what He's doing in our own life. You want to know something about jealousy? Jealousy is self-centered, self-focused. Jealousy says, I'm more important. Jealousy says, my needs are greater. God should be doing more for me. You see, ultimately, jealousy says, I am the greatest. I'm not pointing the finger, believer. I think that a lot of us deal with this at different times in our lives. We laugh at Muhammad Ali for constantly boasting about being the greatest, but isn't that what we're saying every time we get jealous of other people? Like I said at the beginning, we, we know, we know this is the wrong attitude for us as God's people. This isn't the way we're supposed to live. But what is the right way? Let's pick back up in verse 27. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater I must become less. Hmm. John the Baptist said a couple things here that I want to highlight. First, he understood that what he did have came from God. He understood that. He said a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. In other words, he was saying, why should I complain about what God has seen fit to give me? You see, John saw things through the perspective of, if I have 500 people here, that's who God has given me to minister to. If I have five people here, that's who God has given me to minister to. By the way, this is the heart of your deacons here at FBCO. I want to just take a minute and brag about your deacons. They don't know I'm going to do this because they would have told me not to, so I'm going to do it anyways. The leadership here we often pray that those who attend FPCO would grasp the importance of attending things like Sunday school, Sunday evening Bible study, Wednesday night study, small groups, so that they can grow in their faith, so that they can gather together in fellowship, so they could be encouraged by one another. And a couple months ago, I was talking with one of your deacons who was telling me, he said, that he had a couple people that he knew were coming to his class that day. And he told me, he said, and you know what? If only a couple people come, 
That's who I'm going to teach. Because that's who God has given me today. What a great example. What a great example that was to me. What an important thing that was to hear. I thought it was important for all of us to hear. And this attitude, it's supposed to extend beyond the ministry, beyond church. God's people should recognize that every good thing we have comes from the Father. That's what James said. In James chapter 1, verse 17, he said, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Rather than being jealous of what someone has or how God is working in their life, we should be constantly thankful for what God has seen fit to give to each of us. And we should respond in praise. Because again, when jealousy becomes the focus, praise falls by the wayside. John the Baptist understood that. He knew that everything that he he had came from God, including his ministry. He even reminds his disciples... His ministry that God gave him was for the purpose of pointing people to the Messiah. That's Jesus. In other words, how could he be upset or jealous? This was the plan the whole time. Far from jealousy, this brought John joy. But then John says the thing that I want to highlight second. Please don't miss this. He must become greater. I must become less. There it is, believers. There it is. In that statement is the cure to jealousy. In that statement is the attitude that should be present in the heart of every follower of Jesus Christ. That from the moment we put our faith in Him as our Savior, we would learn to say to ourselves every single day, He must become greater. And I must become less. And to be honest, John's response is really not a surprise. Not if you've been with us this whole time in the book of John so far. We saw earlier in John the Baptist's story how he was humble when the crowd surrounded him. Here we see that same humility continued when the crowd started to leave. The same way he pointed to Jesus at the height of his popularity, he continued to lift Jesus up even when that popularity faded away. He knew, he understood that Jesus is the joy of believers and he's the hope of the lost. Again, we saw weeks ago in John's story that he understood People needed more of Jesus, not more of John the Baptist. We talked about the fact that this world needs more of Jesus, not more of me and you, believer. And as followers of Jesus, we need to realize, like John the Baptist, that our lives need to be all about Jesus. Because you see, when our lives are all about Jesus, we won't be focused on how great we think we are or how great we perceive our needs to be. No, we'll realize that Jesus is the greatest. We'll look at someone who's blessed by the Lord and be filled with jealousy because instead we'll be thinking about how great our Lord is who just blessed them. That's the attitude we're supposed to have. You see, when it comes down to who is the greatest in our lives, the answer should always be Jesus. It's always Jesus, believers. Our testimony should be that every good thing in our lives comes from Jesus. That in our successes, we're going to point people to Jesus. That in our difficulties, we're going to lean on Jesus. That in all these things, when he blesses others, we're going to praise him. In our hearts, Jesus needs to be greater than ourselves. That's the attitude that we need. We need to guard against that thought that says, I am the greatest. Instead, we need to replace it with the truth that Jesus is the greatest. Now, in case we ever find ourselves struggling with that truth that Jesus is the greatest, let's keep going. John chapter 3, let's remember how great He is. 
Verse 31. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth, speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Now, in case we ever have those moments in our lives where Jesus is competing for the spot of greatest honor in our hearts, let's just come back and review what John has for us here. Jesus, Jesus is from heaven. We're from the earth. By his very nature, he is above us. The psalmist said it well in Psalm 103 that we are dust in his sight. Jesus is the source of truth. So it's foolish for us to think that in our limited knowledge we know more or we know better. Jesus has all authority in his hands. And yet, we go through these moments where we're tempted to think that we'd be better off as the master of our own lives. Then John reminds us of the truth that Jesus is the source of eternal life. And for those of us who have received that eternal life, how is it that we so often get into that mindset, that place in our hearts where we begin to think, I am the greatest. See, that's what jealousy says. That's what pride believes. Jealousy forgets God's place in our lives. Jealousy forgets that Jesus is from above. We're from the earth. That Jesus is the source of truth. We need that truth. That Jesus holds all things. We hold nothing. That Jesus is the source of eternal life. And we need that life. As Christians, we should join with John the Baptist and recognize that he must become greater. We must become less. You see, the answer to the question, who is the greatest in our lives, should be obvious. The answer is always Jesus. But the next step for us is to live that truth out. Remember, it's one thing to understand it. It's another thing to live it out. For John the Baptist, that meant being faithful and grateful to what God had given him to do. It, it meant rejoicing at the work of God wherever it took place, even if it wasn't in his own ministry. And it meant pointing people to the one who truly is the greatest. That's Jesus Christ. First Baptist Church, who is the greatest in our lives? If we're filled with pride and jealousy, the truth is we think we are the greatest. That's what we think. And we need to flee from that attitude because that'll create a discontentment that runs deep in our hearts, that lashes out against others and even against our Savior when He blesses others. Instead, we need to remember this truth this morning. That when Jesus becomes the greatest in our lives, we will live far greater lives. When Jesus becomes the greatest in our lives, we will live far greater lives. You see, when we allow Him to be the greatest, when we recognize that, when we live that out, it means that we're going to start to live more for Him and less for ourselves. We'll start praising Him more. Start living for Him more. We'll start seeing all the ways that He is working in our lives. If we believe that he is the greatest, then we'll start to share him with other people. 
And we'll leave pride and jealousy off to the side. But to have that right attitude, we need to believe and choose to live out that fact that he must become greater and we must become less. My prayer is that that would be the attitude of all of us here at First Baptist Church of Oxford. But if you're joining us and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, if you've never put your faith in Him, please understand that the truth I hope you will walk away with is found in verse 36, where it says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Please understand that the Bible says that you and I, everyone in this world, we've sinned. We've broken God's commands. It's what we do when we lie and cheat and steal and lust and take God's name in vain. And because of all these things, we are guilty sinners. And the Bible says that when we stand before God in His justice and His holiness, He must punish sin. And the only just punishment is that we'll be separated forever from Him in a place called hell. The Bible says that that wrath remains on us. But on this Valentine's Day, I want you to understand the greatest of loves. The greatest love is that despite our sin, despite the fact that we deserve punishment, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And Jesus lived a perfect life, the thing that you and I can't do. And at the end of that life, He willingly died on the cross. You see, when He did that, because He is perfect, He stepped in as our substitute. And when He hung on that cross, He was taking all of the wrath, all of the punishment that you and I deserve for sin. After he died, he was buried, but three days later, he powerfully rose from the dead. And now he stands in heaven waiting to offer you salvation from the wrath that you and I deserve. Salvation from hell, the forgiveness of your sins. And the Bible says that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And if you have never put your faith in him, I hope that today you'll make that decision. That you'll flee from that wrath that is to come, that you'll accept his forgiveness. And you can do that right now. Would you pray with me? If you're here and you'd like to make that decision, please know that no matter where you are, on campus, if you're watching online, if you're listening to this in the car, on the radio, please know you can put your faith in Jesus no matter where you are. He'll hear you. The Bible says whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can go to Him in faith right now. Admit that you are a sinner that you need His salvation. Put your faith in what He accomplished on the cross and in His resurrection. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll save your soul. Friend, if you make that decision, I hope that you would let someone here know so we could rejoice with you. Father, Father, thank You for Your great love that You showed when You sent Your Son. This Valentine's Day, help us not to lose sight of that great love. Let it be the greatest praise we have all day. And in light of that love, help us to make sure that your Son is always the greatest in our lives. That He would always hold the place of greatest honor. So that we wouldn't fall into that temptation to be jealous of others. We wouldn't be filled up with pride. In the moments where we begin to do those things, I pray that Your Spirit would call our attention to the fact that we are beginning to think that we are the greatest. If any of us are in that place right now, I pray that You would open our eyes to it. You would help us to come before You in repentance for it. 
that we would put your son back in the place of honor that he deserves. Help us to be a church that remains humble, that believes you're the greatest, and that demonstrates that by sharing you with everyone. I pray that as we leave this place this morning, you would give each of us an opportunity to share that great news of your love with others so that you'd be honored and you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.